0: Good to see those of you who are in-house this morning, those of you that are online, we welcome you as well. Um, yeah, I was going to mention sermon notes, So, uh, but Carlin already did, so they're on the back table. If any of you uh, enjoy sermon notes, they're, they're there. I, I also, you know, I want to take that opportunity actually to encourage you uh, to take sermon notes to some extent Taking sermon notes is very, very helpful, whether it's on a phone even or in a notebook. You know, one of the things I've found is, is what helps me when I'm listening to someone taking notes, The like last week when Chris is speaking, is that in the moment when the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, I've got something there that I can start to write down, right, that, that I'm not losing it. Um, and, and the biggest thing I've found over the years with taking notes or, or even using sermon notes is that it just helps me to learn better. It just helps me to track better um, with where with the message, and I and I remember things better. So, um, so a couple of weeks ago, I I posed some questions to us as part of my message, and one of them being, how do we become intentionally formed to this to the way of Jesus? How, how do we be in t- not like how does it not? It doesn't just happen there's an intentionality to it that has to take place in our lives. So how does that happen? Paul, he, he writes to the Galatians in uh, Galatians 4.19. He writes of the anguish, and he uses that picture of childbirth, and he says, like, I'm, I'm in the pains of childbirth. I mean, obviously he wasn't, but he's using this metaphor. He says, he says until Christ is formed in you. And he talks about this, that, that, that there's thing of, like, how, how does Jesus... And his way become part of the very fabric of you. How does that happen? Like, how do you ever ask yourself, how does that take place in me? How does that happen? And so, as part of that, over the next two weeks, I want to I want to uh, answer this uh, by talking about the gift of prayer and fasting. I Because we're right in the middle of it. I want to focus this week on fasting. And then we'll, we'll go to prayer next week. Um, I, and I want to encourage you to this as we're in the midst of it. Encourage you to fasting. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 5.35. He says, when the bridegroom is away, then they will fast. And Jesus is speaking there of, of longing He's speaking of expectation. He's speaking about desire. That's that's why they will fast. When I'm gone, when I'm away, out of that longing, they will fast, he says. So in in 2014, Barna Group, they do a bunch of um, polls and that sort of thing. They did a poll around Lent. And they asked uh, a wide range of Christians about Lent. 72% of professing Christians... Uh, in this study were aware of Lent. So, 28% of Christians weren't even aware of Lent, but 72% were. Uh, Of those 72%, 17% were planning to take part in it. 15% uh, were going to fast food. So, any way you slice it, that's a low number, right? That's a very low number. So, and I, not just now, I mean, I've, over the years I've asked myself this, like, why, why is fasting seen as sort of this niche practice for only a few in the church? Because that's what statistics tell us. Or, or why is fasting practiced by really just a few Christians, Um, When he began researching for his book on fasting, or his book, not on fasting, but as part of his book Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster, he was doing a chapter on fasting. I'm going to refer to it today, but he he started to do some research. He said between the 1850s and the 1950s, he did not find one Christian book published on fasting. Not one. So now, since then, since that time, there has been a little bit of a resurgence, I'll say, in the church when it comes to embracing fasting. But it, but it kind of, it, it remains on the fringe. And, and the question is why? Like, why would that be? And, and I will say this. I said this to Joyce this week over time when I said, I actually think that in the charismatic realm, the evangelical charismatic realm, actually, we're sometimes actually a little bit more focused on fasting than other parts of the evangelical church, which I find interesting um, but, but why like generally, why is fasting not embraced? One reason could be that the negative reputation that's been brought on um, by the excessive progression of it in the Middle Ages. I mean, there was sort of the motto of the Middle Ages and the church was like, how extreme can we get with fasting? And it, and it became excessively extreme and problematic. Um, you know, there, that's maybe one reason that, that the church sort of began to shy away from it. Um, but, but today, I mean, when we're talking 21st century or even 20th century, you know, our, our culture tells us we should not have to go without anything that we don't want to go without. Like, like our, our cravings for food and drink are encouraged everywhere. Like, everywhere. We, we, we're almost as if we're like, we're saturated with this idea of indulgence. Like there's this idea of indulgence that's in our culture that's ingrained in us. Like if I want it, I should have it. Just go get it. I, I mean, look at look at during the pandemic now, how um, you know, when you look at where fast food uh, has gone with DoorDash and everything, right? Like now you now it's just now you just order it into your home whenever you want. I mean a couple of weeks ago actually this might, be, this might be part of my back problems but I helped push a guy out of the snow down the street a young kid who was delivering food to one of our neighbors and he, he hit the ditch on our street and so I was helping him but he was doing like it was a cold night and he was doing two or three deliveries on our street alone and I thought that's so interesting like, like we don't Jess and I don't think like that like he had McDonald's in his car he was delivering McDonald's to people and I was like I, I was smelling it. <laughs> uh, it but, it, but I mean, again, it's just this thing of, like, whatever you want, you should have. And just go get it. Now, um, you know, I, I wonder if, so besides this idea of indulgence, like, I wonder, is it simply that we're too busy to intentionally fast? Like, our lives are just really busy. So... Whatever the reasons are, I think that for a lot, it seems like fasting is seen as old-fashioned. Fasting is seen as obsolete. Like, why would I do it? I mean, we, to be honest, I mean, we talked about this with our, our kids this week, and generally the idea is sort of like, well, why would we do that? So then you've got to start to work through this process, right? But, but we are influenced by culture a lot, So, having said all this, like, Jesus embraced fasting, the Apostle Paul embraced fasting a lot, when you look at all of Scripture, Scripture as a whole embraces fasting in many different areas, you see that. Uh, Besides Scripture, as you go through church history, I mean, we mentioned the Middle Ages, but all throughout church history, prominent men and women of the faith have embraced fasting as something that we do. For centuries, as part of Lent, so we mentioned Lent, the church would fast every year from sun up to sun down for 40 days. They would fast every year for 40 days. In fact, beyond that, the church would fast twice a week. I think it was Wednesdays and Fridays. Every single week, the church would fast. So you might be wondering, okay, so is fasting a command? Like, is it something that we're told to do in Scripture? Well, in a word, no. Jesus, uh, when Jesus speaks of fasting in Matthew 6, he says, when you fast there. Uh, so, so there's this underlying sort of understanding that th- they were fasting, that the, the culture, the Jewish culture fasted, and so he was just speaking to what they did. But Jesus didn't say in there, he didn't say, no, you must fast. Like, it's a command, you better do it. He didn't say that. But... Three out of the four gospels, they record that where Jesus talks about when the bridegroom's here, it's a time of celebration and feasting, but when the bridegroom is gone and he's speaking of himself, right, he's saying, then they will fast. So it's not a a command, but clearly Jesus says in his absence, they're going to fast, I think the reason Jesus didn't say you must or thus saith the Lord or this is a command is probably because he was pushing back on the legalism of the day. The legalism of the day when it came to fasting and the Pharisees was ingrained. And I think Jesus, he's, he's not, he doesn't want to make it law. He doesn't want it to come across as law because it's not out of that. It's out of this desire and this longing for the presence of Jesus that we fast. And, and that's the point I think of this morning is that Jesus wants us to see that fasting is a gift. It's not meant to be taken as this like you better do it or, or else. It's this is a gift. Receive it as a gift from me. So that's what I wanna focus on this morning. How is fasting a gift? How, how do we see it as a gift in our lives? And I wanna highlight three ways this morning. So first... Fasting is practicing self-denial. In, in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, he says there, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So fasting teaches us self-denial. It's required of everyone who follows Jesus. Denial is something that is just, you, you, ha, you must do that as a follower of Jesus. It, 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 and, and what fasting does is it takes denial beyond words, right? It takes it beyond Matthew 16 as you must, it, it, those are words, and fasting invites us to experience self-denial, and 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 the, and the reality is, you face an ongoing battle with the flesh. I do too. We are in a battle with our flesh. The reality and the power of sin is real there 's this power of the flesh within us that can control us now i'm not I'm not talking simply about our physical flesh right flesh is representing this desire to live in opposition to God and to opposition to the things of the spirit so that's that's flesh we're talking about and and you know despite common western thinking, your soul isn't this invisible part of you that's kind of floating around inside of you and is somewhere there that's that's not what the soul is biblically the soul is you it's it's your whole person. It's every part of you. It's your brain. It's your body. It's your nervous system. It's your stomach. It's every part of you. So I mentioned this last week, but, but when we like when we talk about spiritual disciplines, I, I want, or I guess two weeks ago, I want to put this to us that spiritual disciplines are the baseline for followers of Jesus. They're, they're not like an extra package. They're just, they're, they're part of the baseline for us. And, and following, following Jesus is something that we do, right? We're not because we're doing this out of this, this merit-based system that's earning us salvation or earning us God's love. No, no, but we follow Jesus and we do this following. And so fasting comes out of this desire for union with Christ and our need to be sustained by this union the reali- and, and it's this realization that sin is like a disease in my body that wrecks havoc on my soul and keeps me from union with Jesus. That's what sin can do within me and within us. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying your body's evil. I'm not saying you have to punish your physical body. Our bodies are good. They're a gift. But like the rest of our soul, our bodies have been corrupted by sin. And so we need a paradigm that sees our need for healing. We need a paradigm in our lives that sees that we have a need for healing in our lives. Sin is not just about what we are, would be condemned with when we die, right? That's not, that's not just what sin is. It, sin is something that is at work within me, as the Apostle Paul talks about, and it's holding me back from God, actually. It, 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 it can hold me back and so there's defense mechanisms in our bodies it's in my bodies, it's in your bodies that keep me from God's love. It keeps me from receiving God's love. It keeps me from extending God's love to others. And so the gift of fasting, alongside other spiritual disciplines, is this untangling of disordered desires so that I can experience union with Jesus, right? It's, it's this idea, I talked with this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, John Mark Comer talks about this, this thing of deceptive ideas in our culture that play to disordered desires within me that are normalized in society. So that's, that's one of Satan's strategies, to have a bunch of these distorted desires in me that are influencing how I live. And fasting, part of fasting is untangling these desires within me. Fasting is a gift to bring healing in me. So this is where spiritual disciplines prayer, scripture, silence and solitude, silence and solitude, sorry they, they allow the stuff that keeps us from union with Jesus to come to the surface. And Jesus is the divine physician that wants to bring healing to all of us, to every part of us. And so fasting is this gift that is teaching me to deny myself to, and, and to learn the way of Jesus that must involve surrender and has to involve denial of my, in my life. Right, it's, it's, it's getting to what Paul talks about where he says in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. So it's, it's this thing of like, I want to live Christ or where he says in Galatians 2:20 I have been crucified with Christ I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I now live in the body he says I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so that's not just some like theological understanding this is in my body in my life I want to live as with Christ in me and I and I and so I've got stuff in me working against that. We all do. And so, see, if if this thing of denial only stays at a level of belief in me, and it's not worked out at a practical level in my life, which is the battle for all of us, like that's the battle, then I'm not going to understand or embrace or surrender to denial of self if it just stays at a belief level. And it's not possible to follow the way of Jesus without a willingness to work this out in our lives. And it's, yeah, like it's an ongoing process for sure, right? Totally, it's ongoing, but it involves intentional steps of action that you take. And again, I said this before, but this, this is the battlegrounds for our lives, because we all have free will to choose. Will I surrender to Jesus with every area of my life, with every part of me, even when it will be hard and painful? And it will be. It will be hard. Or, so will I do that? Or, will I go my own way? Will I pick and choose what I like? Maybe I like this part of Jesus, I like this. But really, I'm gonna keep myself at the center because that's where I feel most safe and that's where I feel most in control. So it brings us back to, and this is where I think this, this is where fasting is part of this. What does Matthew 16 mean for your life? Like when Jesus says you must deny yourself, what are the practical implications? What are the practical decisions, choices that will be required of you to deny yourself and live the way of Jesus. To lose your life. And we're, you know, what others will tell you is the life, like, go for that, that's the life. And Jesus is gonna say, no, you gotta lose that in order to find real life, full life in me. So, you know, one one way that I, I want to suggest that this could be this year, is that it might mean for some of us overcoming whatever's holding you back from taking the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. Practical example, right? Where the, the next time we offer it, you can say, you know what? I, I know that this is gonna bring me to a place of vulnerability, but I am going to step into that because I want to trust that God has healing for me in my life. And this, this is all where, this is where fasting is a gift. Because, we are, we're not inclined, my bent, your bent, is not to in any way want to deny yourself. You don't want to. I don't want to. We always want more. We always prefer comfort. We always prefer pleasure. Always. And fasting, I'll, I'll suggest, is a relatively actually easy way that we can practice self-denial. Fasting is actually a practice of suffering as well. It teaches our bodies to suffer. And this is good. You know why? Because you cannot avoid suffering in your life. So fasting teaches us how to suffer. In John Mark Comer, Comer, he says, in fasting, we're learning how to suffer with joy. Okay, secondly, how else is fasting a gift? Well, fasting teaches us self-control. Or or negatively, you could say, it reveals what controls us. That's what Richard Foster says in his chapter on fasting. He says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals what controls us. So positively, that's the negative part, it reveals what controls us. Positively, fasting teaches us restraint. it, it, It doesn't feel great in the midst of it. Like, honestly, right now, I woke up this morning... Fasting isn't feeling great right now. Uh, I've got a low-grade headache that's going on right now. I had it all morning. Um, you know, I, I probably, like right now, probably today's been one of the, the harder days for me fasting than this last week for whatever reason. I, I doubt as you're fasting that you're going to be like, oh, I, I'm like coming to this like great untapped power that I never knew I had. It's like, like Hulk power within me. No, I don't think you're going to see that. See, in fact, this is the thing. Fasting is actually the one spiritual discipline that probably has the greatest potential to humble us. David wrote in Psalm 69, 10, I humbled my soul with fasting. Dallas Willard, he makes the point that since food has the pervasive place it does in our lives, that's such an interesting way of putting it, the effects of fasting will be diffused through our personalities. So I, I think of it, when I read that, I thought, that makes me think of an essential oils diffuser, right? We have one sitting on our counter, and if you take the lid off, you can look, and, the, and you've got the water and the essential oils in it. And it makes me think of, like, what comes out of me when I'm fasting? What's, what's, what's rising into the atmosphere around me when Paul is fasting? What comes out of me when I take away the comfort of food? Because fasting is a gift to teach us self-control. We, we choose not to give what our bodies want, and it trains us to exercise self-control in other areas of our lives when we do not receive what we want. There's other areas of our life we won't get what we want, and fasting teaches us self-control. You know, when, when life circumstances catch us off guard, when, you know, anything happens to us, we, we don't react and we don't go off on other people or we don't go off on social media. Why? Because fasting actually has taught us a measure of self-control. And the reason for this is that there, there's nothing else like food to help us learn self-control. The practice of fasting helps us to realize our reliance on God, this this desire to be spiritually spiritually fed by God, I'm going to get to that yet later, and and rely on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain us. It's it's a physical discipline that speaks of this desire to be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. It's, It's recognizing this need, actually, to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit produced and growing in us. Or another way you could say it is that the presence or the lack of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us is acutely seen through the practice of fasting. You'll see, you'll see what levels of, of gentleness you really have, or what levels of you know, graciousness or self-control. Love, joy, peace. You'll see what the levels are. We, we love to flowerly language, right? We like to talk about sometimes. And then you get into fasting and you're like, oh, how much of the fruit of the Holy Spirit's actually at work in me? Maybe it's just me. But when, we're, when we talk about walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, like, like are we, this is the question, are we simply talking about effort determination and hoping for the best. Like is that we're hoping is that what we're talking about there with those things? Like I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna try, I'm gonna really give it my best, and I'm gonna hope for the best. Like like meaning is it just about our willpower? No, it's no. Now there is a thing, right? Like growing to become more like Jesus, growing in your character we, we should see our wills progressively conformed to the way of Jesus. Would you agree? Like on some level, right? There's, there's, a, there's a conforming of our wills where we are becoming more like him. But is that alone en- enough? Like is that, is that all it is? And uh, John Mark Comer, he asks this in his book, Live No Lies. This is a fascinating part that I, really struck me in that book. Where he, he asks, he says like, how does willpower fare against trauma or against addiction or against a father wound. And he notes that in areas like those, willpower doesn't stand a chance. Like it's simply actually not scientifically possible. And and so, you know, when we're dealing with the stuff at the level of our prefrontal cortex, right, willpower it's great to draw on. Willpower will work. When stuff is in that level of your brain. But the moment we are dealing with the amygdala, Amygdala. Amygdala. Yes, yeah, I always um, the amygdala. The part of the brain, which or you could say the part of your soul, right, that is deeply wounded or hardwired in sinful ways of being. That's that's the amygdala, that's where that stuff is. You are no match for the flesh. When when we have self-defeating behavior that's rooted in trauma or rooted in past pain, you cannot expect willpower actually to be the answer. And and so you've got to find a different strategy. And this is what Romans 8.3 talks about, right? The power of the flesh that the law was powerless against. There was an aspect of the flesh that it just doesn't work. And so in his book, John Mark Comer, he goes on to comment how most addictions or self-destructive behavior is rooted in trauma. And he notes, he says, wickedness is tied to woundedness. And, and I, like, I was fascinated by this part of the book. It really struck me. And I, I actually I reached out to him personally, and I said, hey, John Mark, could, could you give me any recommendations for where I could start to read about this more and to study about this a little bit more? And he, he recommended, he said, well, start with this book, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, it's a secular book. I've 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 got it now. I've been looking through it. I don't. I, no, there's not everything in it that I you know that as a Christian I would recommend, but it is a book that's that's really helpful in dealing with trauma, the effects of our brains, our minds, our bodies. Okay. So where does all this intersect with fasting? What does this have to do with fasting? Right. Well, one of the purposes of spiritual disciplines is to create habits that open us up to the spirit and close ourselves off to the flesh. And through fasting, I would say more than any of the other disciplines, we invite the Holy Spirit to break the chains of sin released into our physical bodies themselves. Where actually there's work going on within us through fasting. Fasting brings breakthrough in the spiritual realm that just will not happen any other way. John Wesley, he spoke of fasting is the means by which we are taught by God himself, by clear and open revelations of his will. And so, as a spiritual discipline, fasting, it's a gift to teach us self-control that then invites deep transformational healing within us. Okay, what's the third way, the last way that fasting is a gift? Well, fasting is a way to feast on God. Fasting, you know, the thing about fasting is it reveals how much of our peace de- pl- depends on the pleasures of food. We, we use food all the time to stuff down, ignore the discomforts we hold in our lives and in our bodies. And we do it so much of the time subconsciously we don't even realize it. We just go for food. Or we go for drink. Constantly. Constantly. And fasting, what it does then is it exposes motives, attitudes, even lack of worth, lack of purpose in our lives. It brings that up. And so there's nothing else that reveals the power of eating and food over our lives like fasting, which, which is why, you know, the removal of things in our lives that can distract us from God, while helpful and needed at times, like other stuff, it's not fasting, Right, and I, and I know like, I've I've made the mistake in years past where I've I've referred to fasting social media or fasting TV or fasting media or whatever fasting whatever. Biblically, that's not fasting. Biblically, fasting is food. That that's abstinence. It's it's ta- it's removing something out of our lives, and they may reveal like taking something else out of your life might reveal to you, oh yeah, that's that has a really addictive power in my life. Like that's that's a problem. I, I have an addiction in this area, but it's not the same thing as removing food. Which, which is actually, I was thinking about this, Like this is kind of the positive aspect of food too, right? Because food is part of fellowship. Food is part of celebration. Food is part of relationship. That, that, God designed it that way. He designed that food would have that place in our lives. That food is present in those times in our lives. And it's powerful in that sense, right? Both positively and negatively, it's powerful. It's why the removal of it, for a time, reveals what it might be covering over in our lives and what needs to come out. And it's not a cliche. We, we abuse food to numb pain, to numb sadness, other forms of trauma in our lives. And increasingly, I would say, we idolize food in our culture and we almost treat food as a God itself that can heal us and restore us. Obviously, yes, food is part of God's goodness to his creation like many other things, but we can worship food rather than the one who gives us those things, right? We be I mean, you look at the craze, the health craze with food in our culture, and food is being put on a level I would say that is it's worshiped in many respects. And and it's I'm not surprised. Like like when I'm fasting, I seriously have to battle not daydreaming about food. Like I do, I, I get into sometimes I'll find myself I'm like, why am I oh I'm daydreaming about eating while I'm fasting? And I'm like, this is crazy. So fasting is a means to to turn away from food and to feast on God instead. It's actually a decision we make. It's, it's a physical act, if you will, to embrace the truth that there is another type of food that we need even more. And Jesus refers to this in his temptation with Satan, right? Satan's, Satan's plan, when he comes to Jesus in the desert, Satan's first thing, what does he do? He goes right after the jugular with Jesus. He goes right to food. He's like, Jesus, I know. He's like, I know you haven't eaten for 40 days. Well, that's not in the text, but he knows, Right? And he says, hey, hey, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Think about that. 40 days fasting, and that's the first thing that Satan hits Jesus with. He's like, I'm going to go in for the kill. Now, this is the thing. For me, that temptation would be easy to sidestep. I'm in the desert. I've got no access to food. Turning stones into bread, I'd be like, well, I can't do that. So, okay, nice try. Jesus could do it. Jesus could have done that. See, this is, and this is kind of an aside, but Satan will tempt you in your life where the temptation might, will be the greatest for you. Like that that was, Jesus could have done that in an instant. And that's what Satan does. And Jesus responds, look, I'm living on something else other than bread, buddy, like don't even try that. I just like, (laughs) I she's like, yeah, whatever, Satan. But right, so right out, that's, that's one part. Right after Jesus's conversation that he has with the Samaritan woman in John 4, this is so, it's so interesting because his disciples come to him and they say, hey, hey, rabbi, it says there, eat something. Like, like you're hungry, why don't, why don't you eat something? And, and it seems from the conversation, like they knew that Jesus hadn't eaten something in a while. So they're coming to him and they, they say this and Jesus says something kind of strange to them. He says like, I have food to eat of that you know nothing about. Yeah. <laughs> and the disciples are like, did someone else bring them food? <laughs> they're like, they're not getting it. They're like, oh, is, like did DoorDash come to Jesus and we didn't know about it? And, and so then Jesus, he explains his cryptic words and he says, my food is to do the will of my father and to finish the work he has for me. Okay, that wasn't some cute metaphor that Jesus was using. Like this was reality for Jesus. He was being nourished and sustained by the power of God. Yeah, and, and he was completing what God had called him to. The same is true for you and for me and for all of us. While we enjoy it and we depend on it for our health and our survival, ultimately we need something greater than food in our lives to sustain us and to nourish us. And fasting reveals this need to us in a very acute way. Fasting is the means by which we receive Jesus as the bread of life, and we spiritually feast on him, and he talks about that. Fasting is one of those ways. You know, like, I said this yesterday when we met uh, to go over the budget, but I I was, people were asking me how fasting was going, and I said, you know, I I consistently find that the mental energy needed to prepare sermons is extensive. Like when, I, when I'm sermon prepping in a week, I get really hungry. Like the, the mental energy and the work leaves me really famished. And so, uh, to be honest, like I approach fear, uh, prayer and fasting with fear and trepidation every year for that. I'm like, oh man, like this, this is gonna be the hardest part of it is that I've gotta preach and prep and I'm not eating and it's gonna be tough. And so, Friday came this week and I was preparing and, and I realized, like, throughout the day, that there was a grace on me. Like, I, there was something that I realized. I, I was hungry, yeah, for sure I was hungry. But I, but I had clarity and energy that was different. It was different than what I would normally have. And, and, and I, it's hard to explain. The only way I can explain it is to say I felt like I was in a zone. Like, there was a zone that I was in, that I was, and I was, I was hearing the Holy Spirit with clarity and 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 like it was it was it was different, and it was if I realized like okay I, I am there's this thing it's true I am feasting on the word, I am physically hungry, but I don't need it, and I and I need something greater, and that's you know and there's something that's really that's when you realize that it's it's actually really cool, when you realize that that's that's a reality. To enter into. So this is, and this is, this is part of Jesus's focus in Matthew six. In Matthew six, right, when it comes to fasting, Jesus he says there. He says, "Look, don't look somber as the hypocrites do when they're fasting." So obviously, there was this practice in the culture, like when you're fasting you know make it really look like you're fasting you want to you want to show others i mean there was this thing in the culture with the religious leaders like let's let's really show people when we're praying when we're giving when we're fasting let's make a let's make a big deal about this and jesus is like you don't need to do that he says you don't need to, you don't need to act miserable well you know why we don't need to act miserable when you're fasting because you're not miserable you actually aren't miserable and and if you are, because it's true that fasting can expose all sorts of character issues in us. Being hangry is a real thing. Right? Let's admit that. That can be a real thing. And all of a sudden character issues in you come up. You're short. You're, you're, your temper's right at the surface. You're quick to react. If we're finding ourselves there, got to ask ourselves Why? Because the key to fasting, one of the keys is our motive and our focus. If, if you're fasting out of duty or obligation or legalism, like I've got to do this, or the church tells me I should do this once a year, or so-and-so says this, or I, I just or whatever, like I feel this, this weight that I have to do this. If you're doing that and you're not doing fasting out of delight, then yeah, it becomes legalism. It, it becomes a law. But if the intent for our fast is to worship, to center ourselves on God, to continue saying, Jesus, I'm doing this because you are at the center and I want to pursue you, you'll, well, you'll encounter God in amazing ways. You absolutely will. Okay, so those those are the three gifts of fasting that I wanted to highlight. Now, there's there's, there's more than that. Scripture speaks of of other ways that fasting enriches us. It, it, it talks about a deeper relationship with Jesus. It, it fasting is spoken of for fasting or for uh, specific direction and guidance. Acts 13 we see this with Paul and Barnabas. They they fasted for where where they should go. It's involved with repentance and confession, even grief. In, in, in desperation for God's help in a specific area, it's, that's why we fast. So there's, there's numerous things in scripture for why we fast. But, but as, as we enter into, so another week of prayer and fasting, week two, I, I wanna just invite you to two questions for application this week to put before the Lord. And that is first, Jesus, what would you have me fast this week? Or how would you like me to fast this week? So ask him. And that's what I do. I, I go, when I go into prayer and fasting, I ask the Lord, what, what would you have me do? Because I need a grace for it. And in the midst of it, I need to know like, that whatever the Lord's called me to, that's what I need to do. And, and, not, and I don't need to feel any legalism beyond that. Right? There's, there's, and so there's a grace and there's a freedom in that. So ask the Lord, what, what is he calling you to do? And then secondly is, Jesus, where do you desire for me to grow in expectation and desire for your presence in my life through fasting? Because that's a gift. So I want to I encourage you this week as we end. Jen, you can come up. I want to encourage you to see fasting as a gift. Don't see it as anything else this week. See it as a gift in your life for union with Jesus. Hard, yes, it is hard. It will, it, there's points of the week that are difficult, but a gift to form you into being more like Jesus. Let we pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for how scripture points us to fasting. I want to thank you for the gift that it is. It is a gift, Jesus, to make us more like you. And Jesus, we want to receive those things that you have for us that while we may not even be inclined to them, Jesus, we want to receive them as a gift from you to form us to be more like you. And so Jesus, would you help us this week? Lord, would you help us to seek you, to hear from you, and then to be obedient to what you're calling us to. We pray this in Jesus, in your mighty and powerful name. Amen.